Hey, everybody, thank you for joining us today. We pray that this message reaches you wherever you are at today in whatever situation you are facing. We pray that the Lord ministers to your life. Hang on till the end, and I want to say a couple more things to you before we're done. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. If you'd please stand to your feet in the honor of, of reading God's word. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21 is where we're going to be today. So Matthew 18, starting in verse 21, says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In some translations, would say 70 times seven. And therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. I pray that you will speak to your people today, that you will have your way today. We're honored to be here. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, please say howdy this time to somebody as you're sitting down. Man. I really do. I said it at first service, but I love all the different howdies, and I like the different, like, beats you hear it at. Howdy, 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 howdy. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Thank you. I got a howdy. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I wasn't left out. Appreciate that. Um, so the human brain is a very impressive and powerful organ in our body. It's very impressive. Um, humans have, um, according to some research, they have about 70,000 thoughts a day. Now, if you're like me, you have about 140,000 and they're only half thoughts. It's, hey, what about the, oh, wait, oh, okay. And so, but for most of us, we have 70,000 thoughts a day. Um, scientists tell us that our brain can hold 2.5 million gigabytes of new information. Now, I look really geeky and nerdy, and I am in some ways, but I don't know what the point of a gigabyte is. Couldn't care less. But just to give you perspective on what a gigabyte is, the biggest man-made or the, the largest man-made hard drive, according to my research, can only hold 10,000 gigabytes. Our brain can hold 2.5 million gigabytes. Crazy. 
I have to look at this one because it's big science words and we don't get along. So the human brain has 86 billion neurons, 400 million miles of capillaries, 100,000 miles of axons, which is enough to circle the earth four times, and more than 10 trillion synapses. That's a lot. And over the course of a lifetime, scientists say that a human will have uh, had as much information as one, uh, one quadrillion pieces of information. One quadrillion pieces of information. That's a one with 15 zeros behind it. If that much money wanted to pop into my account, like just randomly, that'd be cool. Just kidding. Just joking. Bad pastor joke. But... What's crazy about how much information um, we get and that we're exposed to, um, we are also very, very forgetful creatures. Very forgetful. So um, we forget about 56% of what we've learned in one hour. You know how encouraging, or actually discouraging it is for me in this moment right now, that in one hour while you're eating lunch, you're going to be like, what did that guy say? You know? I'm just kidding. Just joking. Um, it's not about me. Sorry. Um, we forget about 66% um, after a day. And then six days, six to seven days later, we've forgotten 75% of what we learned, what we experienced, what happened, what we said, what was said to us. We forget 75% of it. And so actually just a few days ago, I experienced this because, um, because I am actually kind of geeky and nerdy. I think the way to impress somebody is with like solving puzzles and stuff. So like there was a Rubik's Cube at my family's at Christmas, and I picked it up and I said, man, I can do this. And um, I couldn't do it anymore. <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot some of the algorithms, and I was like, well, my, my in-laws are going to hate me now. Just kidding. And so I had to look up a YouTube video and all that, and I was embarrassed and all those things. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. And then one of my relatives was using a, an app to solve the Rubik's Cube. I said, what in the world? I'd rather forget than... Anyways, it was cool. It was cool. She's awesome. Um, and a lot of things work this way, too. If you play an instrument and you stop playing that instrument for even just a few months, you'll forget some things. You might understand the basic idea, but you'll forget. Um, if you learn languages, you have to stay up with them or you'll forget them. Um, don't tell my Greek professor that I have forgotten Greek. I took four semesters and I wasted his time. Sorry about that, man. <laughs> Um, and so, and a lot of what we do, if we stop doing it for a time, we would forget how to do it. But you know what we never forget? When someone wrongs us. Never forget that. Right? Never forget it. And so, it's like we've got a tiny notebook, always in our back pocket. You got an illustrated sermon. No apologies. It's like we've got a tiny little notebook in the back of our pocket, and we're always ready to pull this out when anybody wrongs us, whether it be a horrible thing or a real petty thing, and we write them in this little book, and when you're in this book, I don't like you, and one day you're going to pay. For real, though. I don't like you, and one day you're going to pay. And we write these people in this little book. And so this is not a, a prayer journal. This is not, we're not praying for them, we're praying on them. Not P-R-A-Y, P-R-E-Y. We're praying on them. We want them to suffer. We want them to hurt. We want them to not be doing good. So how can they be my victim? How can I get them back? This book is not about praying, it's about paying. It's a you're going to pay journal. This is a debt collector's book. You wronged me, and you're going to pay. And so some examples for you. I'm married now, so I give married examples. It's awesome. And, and it's scary. Caitlin will be here next time, and I don't know if I'll be as bold as I'm about to be right now. Okay. 
But some petty examples, but just so we, this, how this kind of works, is um, so imagine there's a wife, she gets her hair done, she walks into the room, husband's there, and any husband in here knows your brain's telling you something is different. What? If they don't tell you, there are sometimes I know for a fact Caitlin's going to go get her hair cut. She comes back, and I'm like, oh, I'm glad I knew because I never would have, did you even cut any hairs? You cut like one? I mean, what, what happened? Uh, it got thinned. What? Nothing happened. Nothing changed. Um, but a lot of guys, we don't know. So say, this is a dumb example I know, but say a, a wife walks in, um, hair's done, he doesn't notice, and she gets mad. And so you're going to write him in this book and say, hey, the next time he does something new or different, something's different about him, I'm not going to let him know I noticed. And I'm not just dogging on the wives. Husbands, maybe there's a time you just want to watch the game, you want to go hunt, you want to go do whatever it is that you like to do in relaxing time. And then the, um, your wife says, hey, I want to go, I want to put some decor up in the house. Lord help. I mean, just like we were busy all week. We couldn't have done it when we were already sweating and tired. It's right whenever I take a seat that, you know. And so maybe with as dumb as it sounds, Maybe what we do is, hey, the next time she wants to relax, I'm going to take that from her. And I'll be real. I mean, marriage, sometimes you do that. You're like, next time she's wanting to relax, I'll take it from her, right? I'm going to make it to where we have to. She's going to go hunting with me, all right? <laughs> Kate doesn't have to worry about that with me. It would never happen. We'd be hunting for like a cheeseburger or something. <laughs> so she doesn't have to worry about that. So, and on and on it goes. And a lot of times, sometimes, there, I know we're, we're making jokes right now, but there are times where this, there are some very serious things in this book. Things that actually make sense while they're in here. Not just petty little things like I just shared, but legitimate things that we write in here. And it makes sense. But so today we're going to choose between two options. Either we choose to keep our little journals, which means we choose to hang on to unforgiveness, wrath, anger, bitterness, all these things. Or we choose to throw these journals aside and go the way Jesus calls us to go, which is the very difficult way. And it's the way of forgiveness. The way of forgiveness. And so when it comes to forgiveness, there's a couple different perspectives, positions that we can find ourselves in. And the first is receiving forgiveness. And I'll be honest, I think we like this one more than the one I'm going to get to here in a couple of moments. But receiving forgiveness. So we're all in need of forgiveness. We've all said things, thought things, done things that we know are wrong. Romans 3.23 would tell us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the good news here is, is for all of us, there is forgiveness available and found in Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's good news. If we just confess, he will forgive us. And so we find this is the position that servant is in in that parable we read in Matthew 18. Jesus says he owes 10,000 talents. And to put that in perspective, one talent equaled 15 years of wages. Years. And he has 10,000 of them. So if you do the math there, it's 150,000, not coins, not dollars. It's 150,000 years worth of wages that this servant owes to this king. He won't even be alive for maybe 100 of those. He's, and he's not working all 100 years either. He's got to wait till he's like in his teenage years or something. Like he, and he's not going to be able to pay that back ever even if he gives every single cent to this king. And so imagine what that would be like for a yearly wage of $40,000. If you do the math there, it comes out to $6 billion. That's how much we would owe. And that's not even really doing it justice for how the ancient listeners would have been thinking about it, but a ton of money. If somebody showed up at my doorstep today and said, you owe me $6 billion, I'd go throw me in jail. I, I mean, just, 
Uh, sorry, Caitlin. Um, you're going to have to move on. I, I'm going to be in jail for the rest of my life. I give up right now. So it's almost laughable when the servant then looks at this king and says, hey, be patient with me. I will pay you back. Everyone in that room knows that ain't going to happen. You will not pay that back. But instead of throwing this man in prison, the king actually chooses to have compassion on him, and he releases him, and he forgives the debt. And for those of us who know Christ, when we hear this parable, we know that's our story, right? We had accrued a debt that in our sin and in our disobedience, we could not pay back. And I think an issue for some of us, not pointing fingers for some of us, I can be there too, is we think our debt wasn't that bad. And so that's why we maybe have some unforgiveness in our heart towards others. We think theirs is way worse than ours. But we had accrued a debt we could not pay back. But God in his grace and his mercy decided and chose to show compassion, mercy, and grace to us. And so this is the good news that God sent his son to die for our sins that we might be forgiven and find new life in him. That's receiving forgiveness. There was another one. There's a second one, another position of forgiveness that is still good news, might not feel like it at first. And rather than all receiving forgiveness, you've also got extending forgiveness. Receiving it and extending it, giving forgiveness. And so Christians are not only a forgiven people, we are a forgiving people. We are identified as forgiven people and as people who forgive others almost radically. And we look like crazy people with how willingly we forgive because we know what we've been forgiven of. So C.S. Lewis said this, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely thing until you have someone to forgive. You hear a cool story about forgiveness or see a cool movie about forgiveness and man, you're crying. It's great. And then something happens to you and you're like, man, forgiveness is not all that cool. I mean... It was cool in that movie, but that's just a movie, right? Everyone thinks it's lovely until they're the ones who have to do it. And so to go back to Matthew 18, uh, immediately after this servant is forgiven, he goes, out, he goes out and finds a fellow servant. And we kind of know how the story goes, but I want to just put a, like an idea in here. What if Jesus put it this way? What if he said that servant who was just forgiven this crazy debt went out and found another servant that owed him like, ancient ways? He only owed him like a few months worth of wages, with a denarii that he owed him. And he goes to this, this servant, he goes, hey, man, I was just forgiven a crazy amount of debt. It was, I mean, I didn't deserve it at all. And so you owe me almost nothing. And so I'm going to forgive you. And then he forgives that servant, and that servant gets inspired and goes and forgives another and another. And then, like, forgiveness just spreads like wildfire throughout this region in, in the parable. That doesn't happen because Jesus does not live in la-la land, and he knows how humans are. He knows it might just be a parable, but it's not going to connect us. That's not, unfortunately, that's not what happens. And so instead, this servant, and I'm not being any more graphic than the Bible, is the servant goes and finds this other servant that owes him almost nothing. He grabs him, he chokes him, and he says, you will pay me what you owe me. And this servant bows before him and says, hey, I will pay you, just be patient with me, which is the exact same thing this servant just said to the king. And it's almost like he doesn't even register it. And he refuses to forgive, and he has this man thrown in prison. Other servants see it. They're grieved by what they see. They tell the king, and the king ends up throwing this servant in prison because he didn't understand what he'd been forgiven of. He didn't get it. And then Jesus says something that, would, that stops us in our tracks. Jesus, a lot of times in the Bible, is very comforting. 
He's our guide. He helps us. There are other times he will say things that absolutely stop you. <laughs> You're like, did, did he just say that? <laughs> what? And he says something that I don't, we should never shy away from. We need to know this. And it's this, is that Jesus says, uh, so will my heavenly father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So forgiveness for the Christian is not secondary. Here's a cool word, or tertiary, right? Thirdly, it's not. It's not secondary or tertiary. It's a primary aspect of our life as Christians. And so we forgive because forgiveness is a commandment. It's not an option. It's non-negotiable as a Christian. And so Colossians 3, 12 through 13 says this, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you can forgive when you feel like it. Is that what it says? If you feel good that day and it's been several years or something, you can forgive then. By the way, the whole time heals all wounds thing, I don't, what, no. <laughs> Not even true. Not even true. It normally just, I heard somebody say fester. I'm going to steal that. It makes it fester. I, I came up with that. You didn't hear it. It makes it fester. It makes it grow down deep. Yeah. It, no, if you just let it, if you just kind of let it go and let it do its own thing, it's, it's forgiveness is what heals. No, it says here, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And that's Paul. So you could probably say, well, it's just Paul. That wasn't Jesus. He didn't say that. Well, here's Jesus. In Matthew 6, verse 25, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. It's actually verse 15, I believe. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's one of those verses that stops you. And then you start, like, looking in a mirror, and you're thinking, Lord, is there any place in my heart where I don't, I'm not forgiving? Would you please help me to forgive? So when we claim to be forgiven followers of Christ, but we refuse, like the servant, to forgive both the heinous and the horrible things, and then the real petty things, the Bible says it clearly. We are not forgiven when we straight up refuse to forgive. If we're struggling with forgiveness, that's one thing. Please don't hear me wrong. If we're having to do it daily, that's okay. I think that's part of our forgiveness. But when we blatantly refuse it, what we're saying is, is what they did to me was far worse than anything I ever did to God. It's a dangerous place to be. And so in the kingdom, forgiven people forgive people. And forgiveness is simply saying this, just want to add some clarity, is that you don't owe me anything anymore. I'm taking you out of my debt collector's book. I'm not coming for you, and I'm not praying like fire and brimstone down on you anymore. I'm letting it go. It's as if I had some, some sort of debt that, a, that I, I, I owed to some sort of loan or credit card or something, and they walked up and said, hey, you don't have to pay anything anymore. It's saying you don't owe me anymore. And so just to provide some more clarity on this, let me tell you a couple things forgiveness is not. Because I think sometimes we have this wrong idea or this misconstrued idea of what forgiveness is, and it stops us from forgiving. So let me say this. Forgiveness is not forgetting. They are not the same. For the Lord, he does forget. And it's amazing that he does because he's all-knowing. And he chooses to forget our sins and forgive us. It's amazing. But we are humans. We don't always forget. And there are times where forgetting would actually be kind of unwise. And it would put us in an unsafe situation. 
especially with the more horrible or heinous things that have happened where somebody's been abused, misused, those sorts of things. That, that remembering sometimes is a good thing. Not rehashing it in our brain and thinking of all the ways we want them to suffer and hurt. That's not where we're at. Sometimes remembering is okay because it helps us set up appropriate boundaries with somebody even though we've forgiven them and say you don't owe me any more. Forgiveness is not always reconciliation, which that just means two people coming back together, whether it's, whether it's a husband and wife, whether it's a friends, siblings. Sometimes, again, there are boundaries that need to be put in place. We forgive them and say, you don't owe me. I'm not holding it over you anymore. But there's still a wisdom there where we set up boundaries in between us and someone else. And sometimes I think why we don't forgive is we think, especially with the horrible things that have happened to us, we've got to forgive and then everything's got to be like okey pokey. And that's not true. They just don't owe us anymore. We're not going to hold that over, and we're not going to be full of bitterness and rage and anger. This is a cheesy line I bet you've heard before, but I think it's true, where this bitterness, um, it's like I'm drinking poison, and I'm expecting the person I'm mad at to get hurt. And we're choosing to let go of that. We're choosing to let go of that. It's also like we've got chains on, and we've got the key in our hand, and we refuse to let these chains go. It's not because they didn't say sorry yet. Did we say sorry before Christ saved us? No. He forgave us before. He died for us before we said we were sorry. And lastly, forgiveness is not condoning. Again, with the horrible things that have happened to us, we are not saying they're okay. We are not saying it's not a big deal, whatever. They were a big deal. Just like our sin was a big deal, but still Christ forgave us. We don't owe anything anymore. So just some clarifying points on what forgiveness is not and so we forgive because it reveals the culture of the kingdom. And so our culture, our American culture, the West culture, has something called cancel culture. Probably heard of it. We're not going to sit on it too long. Um, but um, the cancel culture is where if you do anything remotely wrong or against the status quo, it's pointed out and you're completely and utterly canceled. You can never be heard from again. And you're just, your career's over all these things. Okay? I had more on it, but we're running out of time because I yap too much. Okay? So not, more on that later if you want to talk about it. But... The kingdom of God has a cancel culture as well, but it's way different. Okay, so our culture wants to cancel people, but God cancels debts. And his people should be canceling debts as well. And it ain't easy. Let me tell you, it's not easy. I'm not trying to put sprinkles on something that's really difficult. Okay? But we also have cancel culture. Our culture, our Western culture, if we had cancel culture schools, the word forgiveness would never be on a vocab test. Never. It doesn't exist in that culture. There's no room for forgiveness. You don't talk about it. It's never going to exist. Once you mess up, you're done. You're done. But in the kingdom of God, the, in, uh, in their schools, um, there would be forgiveness on every vocab test. It'd be plastered on the walls. It'd be the song playing in every car. It would be everywhere. Because we forgive because it is the language of the kingdom of God. So earlier, Peter asked a question, didn't forget about Peter. You can't forget about him. He always asks such good questions that help us pastors just make great sermons. I mean, he's great. He's awesome. Um, he's, he's great. Um, earlier, Peter asked how many times should he forgive. And some translations say 77 times is how Jesus would respond. But other translations say 70 times 70. No matter which translation you prefer, which one you read, um, this is what matters. He, he tried to make forgiveness a math problem. Like, how many times do I write them in this little book of mine until I'm just done, and I'm done with them? But forgiveness isn't mathematics. It's not. It is language arts. It is the language of the kingdom of God. It is how God talks, and it is how we should talk as well. 
When we don't forgive, we don't know the language of the king, and we don't know the language of the kingdom. Because forgiveness is how he speaks, it should be how we speak. Forgiveness communicates what our God is about and what his people are about. And to show you what forgiveness can do, can do I just want to conclude with a story. And so on May 27, 2002, there's a police officer by the name of Ike Brown. His name's Isaac, but he goes by Ike. Ike Brown. And it's 4.30 in the morning, and he's getting ready for his shift that day. Again, he's a police officer. He's getting ready. And at 4.30, he gets a knock on his door, and he opens the door, and to his surprise, it's his lieutenant, a commanding officer there, and maybe some other officers. And he's about to start his shift, so he thinks maybe they were on their way, and there's some sort of scene he needs to go to, something he needs to do. He doesn't think much of it. But then um, somebody comes through all those other people, and it's the police department chaplain. He immediately knows something is not right. And so they proceed to tell him that his 21-year-old son, Ike Brown Jr., had been shot and killed that night. And his son was not doing anything criminal, nothing nefarious, nothing bad. He was simply at a friend's house playing video games. Um, and him and his buddy went to another guy's house. And this, this fella here had another friend over they didn't even know. And this fella, his name's Takoya Kreiner, he was upset because he didn't want to be playing video games. He wanted to be partying and drinking and smoking and all these things. And he got so mad, and for some reason, he took out his anger by pulling out his gun and just shooting everybody in there. And Ike Jr. and his friend Jeffrey were both killed. Their friend, that was the kind of the connection between them two and Takoya, he was harmed, but he didn't, he didn't pass away. He lived. And so as soon as Ike Brown Sr. hears this, of course, he's filled with grief and mourning and those sorts of things, but he's also deeply angry. He wants revenge. As soon as he hears this kid's name, he wasn't much older than his son. As soon as he hears this kid's name, there's just this anger and this desire for revenge, and he's going to have to pay for this. And so they have to wait three years before Takoya's trial begins. And so that's three years for the anger to simmer, to settle, to, to spread throughout his heart and his mind. It's three years. It's a long time. It's important to know that um, Ike Brown is a believer. He's still struggling with this. He's a believer in Christ Jesus, and this is a huge thing he's got to wrestle with and struggle with. But so three years pass. Finally, the day for court arrives, um, and Ike Brown, right before he walks into the courtroom, what he expects to feel is just this deep desire to hurt Takoya. That maybe I'm going to walk in and my police officer friends are going to have to hold me back because I'm going to make that kid pay. I'm going to hurt him. But then something strange happens. He walks in. He sees Takoya. And immediately, again, he's a believer in Christ. Immediately when he sees him, all he can feel is love. And it does not make any sense to him whatsoever. It's not what he wants to feel. But all he can feel is love. And he can't help but forgive him. He is speaking the language of God in this moment. And all he wants to do is forgive him. And so what he begins to do, he asks God, he said, God, is something wrong with me? Shouldn't I want revenge? This man killed my son. This young man killed my son. Uh, is something wrong with me? And, and God just basically tells him, no, there's nothing wrong with you. And so Ike Brown, rather than trying to seek um, that that Takoya would suffer and all these things, he actually starts pleading with the court and the lawyers that they would remove any possibility of the death penalty from Takoya. And that's wild. 
that he asked for that. He still knows some sort of justice is going to be played out. He knows that. But don't kill him. And so eventually the, um, the jury, the verdict is heard, and um, sure enough, Takoya is sentenced to life in prison. And Ike Brown says as soon as he's put in handcuffs and taken away, Ike begins to regularly pray for Takoya every day. And it's not, man, I hope he has a horrible time in prison. God, make him suffer. Um, fire and brimstone, Lord, please. That's not what he's doing. He's literally praying for blessings and for comfort and for guidance that Takoya might be saved, these sorts of things. And so then it takes some years. Ike's very honest. And he says it took him some years, but he felt the Lord asked him to write a letter. So he writes a letter to Takoya. And at first he says, hey, just want you to know I'm praying for blessings over you, that it, it's as good as it possibly could be for you right here in prison. I know it's not great, but I hope it's as good as it could be. And he's praying these good things over him. And just imagine being Takoya when you see this man's name on a letter and you expect him to be like maybe death threats, curses, like I'm glad you're there, all those sorts of things. And instead he's saying he's praying for you, he loves you, and he hopes that everything is good for you, as good as it can be. And then Ike Brown asks Takoya a favor. He says, um, I just want you to know I, I, I miss my son a whole lot. Deeply do I miss my son. And so I have a favor to ask. Would you please fill in for him? Would you be my son until we get to heaven? Takoya responds, and he says he gave his life to Christ the moment he got the letter because he told, he told God, hey, I heard Ike say he forgives me and stuff in court, but if he really means it, I believe he'll reach out to me. So if he reaches out, I'll give my life to you. As soon as he gets the letter, he gives his life to Christ. I think even before he opens it, maybe after he opens it, gives his life to Christ. And that's what the language of God does if you... I mean, you, you see a fellow a believer do something like this. It just speaks God's love and forgiveness over others. And then he says, I'm nowhere near worthy, and I have no right to be your son, but if you'll have me, I'll be your son, and you'll be my father. And in 2009, Ike Brown Sr. adopted legally Takoya Kreiner, the man who killed his flesh and blood son. That is speaking the language of God there. And so as you're standing, we're almost done. Hey everybody, thank you so much. We are so honored that you chose to join us today for this message. And our prayer is for you and your family that you would be uplifted and encouraged. If today you receive Christ or if you would like to give to the vision of Landmark Church, if you would go to our website, www.landmarkchurchok.com, there's more information there, how you can do all of that. And also if you have a prayer request, please let us know how we can be praying for you guys. We love you and hope you have a blessed time.